where on earth have all our teaspoons gone? Seriously, where? We used to have loads of the things and now we have three. And only two of those are our posh ones. The other one is the one we use for extracting tea bags when we make a mug of tea inside the studio just for us guys. Not for our clients, you understand. I get it. I get where forks could go. I mean, one of our assistants ate a lot of salads and the forks just seemed to disappear with the salad boxes at the same time. But the teaspoons? I mean, we only use them for stirring in the sugar or taking out a tea bag. So where have they gone? Like so many things in life... I doubt I'll ever find out. Weird. I'm Paul, and this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. Without teaspoons. Hello one and all, hope you're well. Uh, updates from this week? Well, honestly, not much. And it feels a bit weird, if I'm honest, because I'm not shooting that much just at the moment. And that's simply because we're laying out the foundations for the rest of the year. So I have done a hearing dog shoot, beautiful, and a couple of uh, reveals, which have gone really, really well. Uh, but on the whole, I've tidied up I've built cupboards, shelves, I've done some wiring, replaced some lights, organised a few bits, written some Photoshop scripts, written some more Photoshop scripts, written some Photoshop actions, put together a timetable of things that I'd like to do on mastering portrait photography and organised my charges. Now, how do charges, how do charges become quite so numerous. I seem to have hundreds of the damn things and none of them are the same. Now, I know this week the EU, the European Union, has said they want all phone chargers to be the same fitting. But really, they should have a look at the photography industry because I think I counted eight different chargers for different purposes here at the moment. And it'd be really nice if they were all the same, but they're not. Anyway, the hardest bit of this time of year is the slight but very real pang of guilt and insecurity that I'm not actually creating any images, or certainly not in any volume just at the moment. I mean, sure, we've done a couple of weddings, a few portrait shoots, and of course, our regular and wonderful hearing dog stuff. But right now, it's all about setting up for the new year, sorting stuff out, making sure everything's where you want it to be, because the reality of this business is once I get into about March, the back end of March, it just goes manic and it won't slow down until January next year. And so this is a very welcome th- opportunity to get stuff done. Uh, anyway, I, one nice thing that did happen this week is that one of my mates, uh, David, one of our mates, David, turned up with a couple of empty wooden wine boxes. They're like tea crates. They're, they're wooden crates. Um, he's a wine collector, a wine buff, and these are the boxes that fine wines arrive in. I cannot believe my luck that I have someone, A, who serves us really, really nice wine, and B, is a source of these fantastic boxes, because I don't really buy props for the studio, but if I can get genuine sort of real things, these are from a friend of mine, so they have actual value to the studio, then I am one very happy bunny. And so, David, if you're listening, of course, I will happily help you empty a few more wine boxes in the coming months. Anyway, on to this week's podcast proper. Uh, This week, it's a couple of questions or four questions that were asked by uh, a very nice person. Well, I think she's a very nice person. I've never met her called Cara. 
So she sent me an email in. Uh, we get quite a few of these. And so this week, rather than just email the answers back to her, I thought it might be fun to do it in a podcast. On top of that, of course, it gives me a subject for the podcast. We're always looking for topics for the podcast, and this seemed like an opportune moment. And so I asked her if she would be willing to record her questions so that I could use them in this podcast. Hi, my name's Karen McCrory, and I'm a fifth-year pupil at Holyrood Technology School in Glasgow. I'm studying higher photography. Oh, amazing. I wish we'd had photography to study at school. We did have a darkroom, and there was a photography club, but I never really had the chance to do it. I was too busy doing music, actually. And in fact, I'm not even certain the school ran a photography course. So as a photographer, I'm so happy to hear that schools are still finding the resources, the skills and the budget uh, and the time to run photography courses at whatever level. So uh, <laughs> if I'm honest, I'm a bit jealous, Cara. So anyway, on to question number one. What inspired you to become a photographer? Ah, uh, hmm. Well, I've no idea, really. I've just always loved it. I think, like most photographers, if you ask them, I think if you asked a musician when or how did they become a musician, and I don't think many would be able to say, well, there was this one moment. I mean, I think some people did, but like most creatives, I couldn't say that. I've always, always had a love for it. My grandfather used to let me use his camera. Uh, I used to play with it all the time. I, th I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. My parents, a little less keen as they predominantly paid for the film and the developing. Um, but I remember it was a Kodak brownie. I don't think it was a box brownie. In fact, we have an exact model of it here somewhere uh, that Sarah, my beautiful wife, bought me as a Valentine's gift a couple of years ago. Um, I still have some of the negatives from those days. I have pictures of my brother in particular that I took uh, that are really, really dear to me. And whenever I do a presentation, I well, nearly whenever I do a presentation, I try to include one of those because it reminds me how I started. So that was my very first uh, recollection of playing with a camera. I think I had a couple of little cheap plasticky things um, as well for a while. I think most of us did as kids that and a, you know, battery powered radio. Uh, my first proper camera, my first SLR was a Zenith. And I remember saving for weeks. It cost me about 30 quid. Um, from a little camera shop in Mould in North Wales, which is where I lived. And I did a paper round. I think I used to get paid like two quid a week or something to do this paper round. And I saved and I saved and I saved. And I still have that Zenith here in the studio. Uh, my father had bought one. And so, of course, I coveted this thing and saved and saved to get one. Uh, from then on in, I had an Olympus OM10. I have no idea. I have no idea where that's gone. Never seen it. I've got one of the lenses here somewhere, but I haven't seen the camera in a long time. Uh, then I had a Pentax MZ30, and then, oh, the Pentax MZS, which was just a phenomenal 35mm camera. Beautiful camera. I had some beautiful glass on the front of it. Uh, loved the damn thing, and it got nicked, sadly. I was working or doing some stuff in London. Uh, and it got stolen. There's a whole story behind that. Uh, luckily for me, uh, the insurers paid up. I had, I mean, I had a record of everything, and <laughs> well, the police were involved, uh, and the insurers paid up. And uh, at that point, Nikon uh, or rather Pentax didn't have a digital offering, but I could see it was coming, and so I switched over to Nikon uh, because the thing um, fitted my hands. I mean, all of this by way of an answer is that I hope you can hear it in my voice that I've always always and still love picking up a camera and taking a picture uh, from that very first Kodak box camera through the Zenith, the Olympus, 
Pentax and now Nikon and I've dabbled with a few others but my Nikons they just slot into my hands and every single day I just want to take some pictures and I think the answer to your question is I've no idea what first inspired me but I'm still inspired to this day um, ever since I was a kid and right through to now. Where did you study? Okay, Cara, so I'm going to assume you mean where did I study photography? And the answer to that is I didn't really. I've always had a camera and I've always had a love of it and I've always studied other people's work and I still, still love photography books. Books of all shapes and sizes. I'm a big fan of going down a second-hand bookshop and just picking up um, some beautiful hardback books. I have piles of them everywhere. And eventually when I get my studio library sorted... Uh, I'll get them all out on uh, display. I did once pay, when I, when I started to see or sniff that I might be changing career, I did pay for a course on stock photography, but I never actually did anything with it. I didn't like the fact that it wasn't inspiring me. Um, now, I think, actually, I would love to do a photography course now with the right lecturer and the right course, but this wasn't it. It was, in the end, a complete waste of money. And, of course... I do sometimes wish that I had trained, but mostly because for many, many, many years, I felt I had something to prove because I wasn't trained. I hadn't gone to university or art college. I hadn't done the things that other people around me had done. I had trained as an industrial designer, so I do have a sort of a visuals sort of background, but I never actually studied photography. And in the end, you kind of realise... It's just your eyes. It's what you see and it's your heart, how you feel. There are always things I'm always learning. It never stops. But of course, you don't need necessarily a degree. Do I think it helps? Don't know the answer to that. You would have to ask people who trained and those who doesn't and see if you can figure out some kind of baseline. Do you need it? Absolutely not. Do you need to learn? Absolutely. But it doesn't have to be on a training course. Uh, so in answer to your question on that one, I didn't really train and one of the reasons I think in the end I worked so hard to get my qualifications with the associations the MPA the SWPP and the BIPP is I think to prove that I could do it it was to prove it to myself because I didn't train because I never went to college because I didn't do a photography degree at university I think I felt I had something to prove but in the end I never actually trained in photography at all how do you think your own, your style has developed through your career? How do I think my style has developed through my career? That is an insanely good question. Um, well, for a long time, I never thought I had a style. In, if I'm honest, I was really insecure that I thought I was very middle of the road, very safe. Um, I'm good with people and I can read light, but really, I never thought I had any kind of style. Um, when you start out in the business, one thing that's certainly true if you wanted to make money, or certainly it was true for us because I had to make money from it, was people would come to the studio or come to me and say, I've seen these images down the road or by another photographer. Could you take something like that? And of course, I'd always say, yes, no problem, assuming I could take those images. And I'd take you know, various styles. And so we didn't really develop a style, but it wasn't necessarily... I wasn't necessarily photographing the things that I loved, but over time we got much better at showing the images that I really wanted to shoot. And as, as you show what you want to shoot, you show your portfolio of images that you really love, 
people come to you for those images and so it's a virtuous circle as more people come to you for the thing you love you get to shoot the thing you love and because of that your style becomes that very same thing so it's kind of happened accidentally and even even now i'm not sure that i'd ever say i had a recognizable style but i know lots of other people do recognize my images and do say that was you know instantly they recognize that's a paul wilkinson image i'm i'm less convinced <laughs> you know, i still look at an image sometimes i'll see an image in a magazine and i'll say so that's a nice image i wonder who took that we should go look them up and she'll say it's you you muppet oh because <laughs> i'd have forgotten it or it's an old image uh, and i haven't remembered so it's nice that now i i think i probably do have a style but i couldn't put my finger on what that is or how i got there one thing that is true though is I have done an awful lot of hours with a camera in my hand and doing that does tune you in because I can now spot an image that I'd like to take pretty much instantly. I don't have to work too hard at seeing the image. I might have to work at getting the image, but actually seeing it comes reasonably naturally. And one thing though I just, I think you should note is the insecurity never really goes away. And right now, one of my biggest fears is getting bored or worse, getting boring. So every few years here at the studio, we head out onto a creative journey to see if we can change what we do just a little bit. It doesn't have to be much, but just try a different technique or a different idea. And this is one of those years where we've just set out in on that journey of trying to figure, is there a new angle that we can add to the portfolio a new element a new something i don't know what yet i'll let you know i'll let you know in 2021 if i get to there um if i get to that point i don't think it'll fundamentally change our style because now pretty much it's every it's kind of everything i feel is what we do and so i am certain that my style has evolved but it's very hard to see it from within you would have to actually look through my back catalogue and then make up your own mind as to whether you could see my current style in my early images or not. How do you go about taking your shots with regards to the camera settings and composition? Ah, now that is a huge question. Or at least it's a simple, easy question with a huge set of answers. If you asked, I think, any photographer... Uh, that question or those two elements to that question, camera settings and composition, I think you'd get a fairly involved answer. So very briefly, let me step through. There are, Broadly speaking, there are seven things that every time you create an image, you need to consider, or at least I think you need to consider as a portrait photographer. I'm sure it's very different if you are a product photographer or an architectural photographer, but as a portrait photographer, these are the seven things that an image is built on. Firstly, your light. The light, the quality of the light, the power of the light, the amount of light rather, the softness or the hardness of the light. These are really important, the color of the light. That's your first, and for me, primary consideration. Um, there are things I'm not so good at, but if you get the quality of the light right, you can get away with it. There are things, so for instance, I'm not brilliant at posing people. That's not my forte, but I get away with it because I've got great light on them. Now, if I was amazing at posing, I might be able to get away with, let's say, less good lighting, less quality in the light. Um, so each of us has our own particular tuning thing. For me, light is first. Then there's the where, the location. Where am I going to take the picture? So once I've got my light, 
and so I'm working in a pool of light. Where precisely am I going to place someone? Now, if you have a pool of light, there isn't actually that much range in where you can place someone. Now, bear in mind, if you're about to take a really important picture for a newspaper, the light is not that important. What's really important is the story. So bear in mind that with these seven things, you have to prioritise all the time. So I'm telling you as a portrait photographer, I'm saying this is how I do it as a portrait photographer. You start with the light, then the location, then layout of the image. Now, some people could call that composition. I call it layout mostly because composition covers quite a few things and layout is quite specific. Where are all the elements of the picture going to go? Now, each of us has a different way of visualising that. It took me years, years of working on my own images before I realised that actually there are things going on in my head that drag the layout and the styling of the image to the fore. For me, it was always the pictures, the pencil drawings of E.H. Shepherd. He did the drawings for A.A. Milne's books, uh, The House at Pooh Corner, When We Were Young, all of these things. Beautiful beautiful books I can't tell you the dates of these things but I've always had them as a child and so for me the best way I have of working out the composition I think as you'd call it or the layout as I would call it is to think of a pencil drawing because if you were drawing if you were drawing the image in front of you it becomes a lot less reactionary and a lot more considered you've got time to place the different elements on the page and because of that you get a stronger layout in my opinion uh, onto the fourth element is layering now this doesn't apply to all photography so for instance if I'm taking a picture in the studio we don't do any layering and lay by layering I mean foreground elements and background elements do I place things in the frame in front of my subject are there things in the frame behind my subject now of course if I'm taking a picture of someone let's say on a white background in a studio there's nothing in front there's nothing behind it's purely purely a portrait of that person so layering only applies when you're photographing in that situation so for instance if you're photographing in woodland you might have layers of grass and trees and flowers in front and behind your subject and only they are in focus so you need to consider that uh, number five for me is the posing. Posing is way down the list um, on my set of skills. Um, I like my posing to be very natural because I want an authentic portrait. That is my style. Very authentic, very simple in terms of the posing side of it. So I don't overly pose people. I will always prioritise a natural expression contact with the eyes great smile almost as if you were in a conversation with that person when you see the picture you should feel like you were there and so posing for me is a very simplistic approach trying to make sure people look great of course they're turned so the wide bits are not so wide the narrow bits are wider maybe bits that you want to be curvy are curvy bits that you don't want to be curvy or not etc normal posing but of course if you're great with the light you can also light to accentuate and diminish different bits of someone's face and different bits of someone's figure. So posing, very natural, very simple. Then there's six, which is the story. And this is really, for me, it's mostly about, do I want it to feel like you are having a happy conversation, whether you're having a serious conversation with that um, subject? 
or if there are two people are they having a conversation are they looking like they're in love or are they looking like there's something more serious going on those are the stories that can come across in pictures occasionally we add in props so for instance if i have a violinist the story might be that she's a supremely talented musician and that this instrument means everything to her sometimes we get her to play or him to play sometimes as i did with a we had a singer in the studio recently the story was definitely him singing and it took quite a long time to get him to sing to me as if he meant the words and once he did that suddenly the story was clear suddenly the images had a real power to them a real depth to them that went beyond just a photograph you could feel it in his body language in his expression the muscles the micro muscles everything and then the final one which you actually asked about in the question is how do I go about setting up the camera? Well, you set the camera, I think you set the camera at the end. Now, as you're building the image, you start to get a feel, for instance, of whether you're going to have a shallow depth of field or a large depth of field. You get a feel for, you're going to use a wide angle lens, which will have a lot more background in it, and it might exaggerate features and things, or you're going to use a long lens and come back a bit, in which case you're going to have a much flatter image, a much more movie-esque image. Those are decisions, they're creative decisions, and they're the decisions you will make or I make based on experience. So I know that if I want to create something unusual, like a comic book kind of image where somebody's tall, very strong, dominant in the frame, I might use a wide angle lens and get the camera down low. If I want a very flattering, very natural um, image, I might use a much longer lens, some 85 mil, 100 mil, something like that, because I know it flattens out features it flattens the perspective it also means i can cut out details around the edge of the frame that if i had a wide angle lens are going to be included and so you're constantly thinking that and then there's the depth of field depth of focus um do i want the face to be in focus and nothing else do i want everything to be in focus you know if i'm taking a picture of someone in their business maybe i want a lot of stuff to be in focus maybe i don't and so setting up the camera setting up the aperture so that it tells that story or, or isolates out that part of the story is something that you just learn with experience you, you can be taught it and taught it and taught it but in the end it comes down to what you feel and what you see when you look through that lens so the settings in terms of the aperture come from that and the lens selection now we are blessed we are truly blessed that in this day and age most cameras not all but most cameras will go to incredibly high ISOs incredibly high sensitivity and what does that mean well it means that I don't need to worry too much about my shutter speed I can literally set the aperture as I want it set the ISO or the sensitivity as high as I wish and then have a shutter speed that is suitable for that lens now we all know or should know by now the old rule that to hold a camera steady without unless you, I mean if you've got vibration reduction things on these cameras fine that's great but in the old days when you just held the lens held the camera and the lens there was a rule and it was you cannot shoot slower than one over the length of lens you're using and it's still a pretty good guide so if you're shooting on a 150 millimeter lens you don't want to be shooting a slower shutter speed than one over 150th of a second if you're shooting wide on a 17 millimeter lens then you can shoot with one seventeenth of a second but of course, if you're using slow shutter speeds like that, there's every opportunity, even if the camera doesn't give you camera shake, the, you, the subject might do. They might move. So you also have to just play into your head, is the subject 
really still or are they moving around? If they're walking, I'm going to have to use a faster shutter speed, which is fine. I just put up the sensitivity a little bit. So actually, the camera settings start with all the other bits. What is it? What is it that I'm trying to create? What's the image? Because that defines how you set up your camera. Uh, and then finally, the last bit, which wraps around everything, is the execution. So when all said and done, when you've set everything up just as you want it, there's a little bit at the end that isn't really one of the main pillars, but in fact, it is the magic that makes that picture just yours. It's the timing. It's when you hit the button. It's what you said to the person in front of you just at that moment. It's the mood that you evoked in the image. There's no defining that. There's no, there's no teaching that. It's just from you. It's your heart. It's how you see the world in the end. Everything else, you've set it all up. But then there's that little bit of magic that nobody but you can do. No one. Only you can do it. And that is the absolute execution. It's the, it's the fairy dust. It's the black magic. It's the dark art. You call it whatever you want. It's the bit that makes your images you. Thank you. Cara, you are so very, very welcome. And thank you. Thank you for going to the extra effort of sending in your questions in audio format. It certainly made it a lot more interesting for me to answer. And I really hope, I really hope uh, that you got a more interesting answer uh, because of that. Because if I just typed it out, I don't think it would have been, I hope anyway, quite so uh, useful. So anyway, thank you for sending those in. Right. On to closing out the, the uh, podcast of course, I'm going to give our weekly plug for the Two Fellows 2. Is that T2F2? <laughs> the Two Fellows 2, anyway. Uh, which is running from the 11th to the 15th of May. It's £795 for five days of photographic mayhem with, mayhem with myself and David Stanbury, plus Sarah, my wife, uh, Jane, Dave's wife, and Karen Massey, who is the owner and creator of Rise RFP, another phenomenal photographer. Uh, we'll all be on hand to help in any way that we can. That's a whole five days, five days of learning high in the Italian mountains above Venice, all in a castle. <laughs> and we'll be walking through portrait sessions, the viewing room, yeah, sales, it's not a dirty word, uh, a wedding, some processing, designing frames and albums, client relationships, business, portfolio, re portfolio reviews, and of course, the finer points of Italian wine. Uh, well, OK, so the last bit is on a consumption basis rather than a workshop, but the point, I think, still stands. And if that weren't enough, Martin Baines, CEO of the BIPP, will be on hand as well to provide an insight from a slightly different viewpoint. It really is a remarkable week and it's a steal, £795 for five days, including all of that. Now, of course, you will need to add on flights and B&B, &B, but actually that's still quite a bargain for what you get. And so on that happy note, thank you again to Kara for being uh, very accommodating and sending down an audio recording of the questions. I hope that made it a more interesting podcast for everybody else as well as for you, Kara, as it happens. And remember, whatever else, be kind to yourself. Take care. Now, where the hell are those teaspoons? Yeah.